you'll look at Colossians chapter 1, we're talking about faith, and today we want to look at faith as it leads to hope. Now, Paul's writing this letter. It's an interesting letter in this respect. Um, Paul didn't start this church. One of the men named Epaphras, who had probably been an understudy of the apostle in the city of Ephesus, has traveled uh, east maybe 60 miles to this area where this city of Colossae is located, and he began the church there. And the church had its problems, and so this man Epaphras has written Paul, and Paul has written back to him to give him some direction. And one of the key things that unites this particular epistle is the word hope. And faith leads to hope. And we want to see that as we look in in, uh, these first few verses. So in chapter 1, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he has Timothy, a brother, with him. And they are writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. And he greets them by saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now he begins to thank these people for who they are in Christ. So we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, when we talk about faith that leads to hope, how many do you see the Billy Graham uh, televised crusade last week? Kind of give me an idea so I can kind of... Mm, not a bunch. Well, you can go online and you can look at it. I'm sure it'll be rebroadcast, but if you can remember, the title of this was Hope for America. This was Billy Graham's uh, last major evangelistic event, and um, he built this uh, message around the gospel of Jesus Christ, But he wrapped the message around the personal testimonies of two vocalists. Younger, I'm going to say they were both in their 30s. One was a female vocalist, and she was a heavy metal vocalist. So she had been in uh, some pretty outlandish bands. Now, the young male that was uh, then being spoken, or whose life was used as a testimony, was a rap artist. Now, both of these lives had gotten wrapped up in their music culture, and as a result of embracing that music culture, their lives had basically disintegrated, and they had lost hope, hope for themselves, hope that God would have anything to do with them, uh, hope that there was any escape for them or any way out, any salvation. But 
people began to witness to them, and they heard the message, and they, in, in the case of the young black man, he, he said that he was having a hard time because he saw himself as embracing Christ, but then slipping back. And then he was talking about how he was saying to himself, God, you've got to deliver me, because if you don't, I'm either going to hurt myself, somebody else, or both. And then he tells the story about rolling an SUV and floating around in the SUV as the thing is turning and, well, he got really uh, spared because he had one little piece of glass that he was able just to reach down and pull out of his flesh, and that was all that happened to him. But God used that, and God reclaimed this young man's life, and they were giving their testimony of how the hope that they had in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is, is speaking and talking about Christ Jesus as God's divine solution. That's, that's the way Christ is portrayed here in the book of Colossae, Colossians, that the Colossian people, the people of the world, the, the people that do not know God, are without hope in this world. And that would include all humanity. And so in this epistle, Paul begins to talk about Christ as our hope. He is our hope that is in heaven. Now that's what you see in verse 5. Christ, our hope, is in heaven. Then later on, he talks about the hope that we can have because of prayer. Then he's going to talk about the, the hope that we have uh, that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So you have this word hope uh, coming out three times in uh, this chapter. So you have then faith and prayer, hope and prayer, Christ, our hope of glory. And then ultimately, in this letter, Paul is talking about Christ as our hope, that we can become, like Jesus, morally good. So that's what we want to look at today. Now, in the first place, Jesus is our hope in heaven. You see that in verse 5. Their faith, hope, and love mentioned here, just like in 1 Corinthians 13. But these people have faith in Christ. They have love for all the saints. And then there's this odd way of expressing it. Because of the hope you have laid up for you in heaven. What is he speaking of here? He's speaking directly of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, yes, has been raised from the dead. And he's been raised from the dead bodily. And in that body, after 40 days, the scriptures tell us that he ascended into heaven. And as it's going to say here in the third chapter uh, of Colossians, that he sat down at the right hand of his father in heaven. Now I want you to think of it again. Here is the person of Jesus, a person that has a body like your body, like my body. It's been glorified by being raised from the dead and entering into eternal life. But now in that body, Jesus has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. 
Now, Chip has used the illustration of Roger Bannister any number of times, and he tells the story how back in, uh, I think it was in the late 50s, Roger Bannister was the first man to break the four-minute mile. No one had ever done it before. But then Chip went on to explain that how within a matter of weeks of Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile, two or three other people had broken the four-minute mile, and now it's not uncommon at all for mile runners to break that barrier. Well, what's one of the main reasons that these people are able to do that? And one of the main reasons is, is because somebody did it first and showed that it could be done. And if it could be done once, then what? It could be done again. That's what you should think of when you're thinking of your faith in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? It means that Jesus in his body has ascended into heaven and sat down at a place at the right hand of God absolutely accepted by his heavenly father. As we have our faith in Christ, then our hope is laid up for us in heaven. He is there, and that is the surety that we will attain to that same position as we have our faith in Christ Jesus, or for that matter, anybody that will have their faith in Christ Jesus. Someone is there, it's Jesus, and it's true, and because it's true, it will become true of us. Paul says in the scriptures, death came into the world through a man, and then through a man came the resurrection from the dead. And then he can go on and say in the book of Ephesians that in this one who has been raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God looks at us in him, and Paul says it's just as if we were seated with him right now in glory. You can read that in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. And then in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, Paul's going to say that when Christ is revealed at the end of the age, when he bodily returns to this world and is revealed in glory, that we are going to be revealed with him in that glory, and that is our hope. Because Jesus has accomplished these things, because he has achieved these things, he's achieved this for all of us who put our faith in him. Faith is to give way to this which the scriptures refer to as our blessed hope. Paul tells us faith does not disappoint. Now, think of the first martyr of the Christian church. If you remember his name, his name was Stephen. And he was being stoned to death by the Jewish high court. And it says as he was being stoned to death, he said he looked up, he saw that heaven was open, and he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It was the hope of glory. A number of people that write commentary on that story in the book of Acts said there was no way for Stephen to come back now. Once he had seen the Lord in that position, he wanted to move from this world to the world where Christ was. 
And that's what we should have and we should be thinking in this manner. You think of Saul of Tarsus. Um, here is one of these unexpected conversions. Here is a person feared. Here's a person not looking for Jesus. He is on the Damascus Road, and Saul of Tarsus is in that position when the risen Christ appears to him bodily. And when Saul of Tarsus saw this Christ Jesus in his body glorified, Saul was an absolutely changed man. Christ is his hope of glory. You look at the book of Revelation, and over and over again, John is given various, like, windows of, of vision to see the glory of the risen Christ and the glory of the reigning Christ and the glory of the triumphant Christ over all the nations and the kingdoms and the powers of this world. That's our hope. He is laid up for us in heaven. Now, I love the World War II stories, and I like missionary stories. And so there's a great combination of these things in a book called Evidence Not Seen, book's probably about 15, 20 years old now, but it's a story of a young girl named Darlene Diebler. And Darlene was a Canadian. She married this man, Diebler, who was a missionary to New Guinea. They went out into those islands in the late 1930s, and they were there when the Japanese overran those islands and all the women in the, in the region were put in one type of a concentration camp, and the men were put in a different camp. And this girl, Darlene, was only in her young 20s. And here she was, uh, fenced in, lots of children, uh, women, almost all of them older than her. And within a short period of time, because of her Christian character, she was made the camp commandant for all of those women. And the things, the horrible things that she went through during that experience, but all during that experience, she talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven just sustained her day in, day out, week in, week out, from 1939 all the way into uh, the period of, of 1945, when there, that camp was finally liberated. And she just goes through it and give evidence of how Christ from heaven spared her life, spared so many of these people's lives, and used them as a Christian testimony. After the war, uh, she ended up going to Japan. Her husband had died during that time in this other camp. And, and she remembered the camp commandant who she had tried to witness to during those years. Same man was the commandant from the beginning to the end. He was very brutal. But he had a particular sense of respect for Darlene. And when Darlene came to Japan... She began to speak to some people, and they found out that she had been in that camp. And she, they were asking her. 
about it, and she said yes, and the man's name, who was the commander of the camp, was so-and-so. And people looked at her like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Well, what about him, she said. Well, he just lives up in the next town. He's, he owns a bicycle shop. Well, what about him? Well, he became a Christian. So this man who was this terror for all of these people during those war years saw her testimony and came to faith in Christ because of the way she lived. Here's a picture of a picture of hopelessness that this man would come to faith. And yet, in reality, because this woman lived with such a grand sense of hope in Christ Jesus, he saw that through her life. The title of the book is Evidence Not Seen. And so she just demonstrated, even though it can't be seen, the reality of the truth that Christ is in heaven and he reigns for us. Now, Paul is a man of prayer. And in this letter, you see the hope that Paul has in prayer, and you see the hope that Paul has in prayer for our inner moral transformation. So Paul, in verses 9 through 14, tells us he does not cease to pray. Now, why do so many of us cease praying? You ever thought about it? We've given up hope. We think something is hopeless. That can't happen. So we just stop praying about it. Paul was never like that. He says he never ceased to pray. He never ceased to ask. And then what he's praying for is the things that are needful for a person to be transformed from the inside. So he prays, first of all, that they're going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's praying that they would be filled with wisdom and understanding. He's praying that these people will learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they can be pleasing to God in every respect. He emphasizes this idea of knowledge again, increasing in the knowledge of God, that idea of knowledge, our knowing God and knowing his character and knowing his ways and knowing his will, that it can be known. That should cause us to keep from uh, losing hope about growing and knowing who God is. And then that they would be realizing the fruits of the Holy Spirit's power in their lives because inside them that they can be patient people and they can be people with great forbearance in the, in the area of suffering and persecution. And then that they can be people that are overflowing in thankfulness. Paul had a great hope and prayer. Now, why is Paul's hope and prayer well-founded? Well, we come back to the same idea in verse 5. It is because our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of God. And because Christ is there interceding for us, 
our prayers to the Heavenly Father go through him. And as we pray for the things that are according to God's will, we are told over and over again that they are heard. Not because we're praying in God's will, but because Christ, our mediator, is seated at the right hand of God in the place of power and authority in heaven. Our hope and prayer is our hope in Christ, in Christ mediating our prayers to the Heavenly Father. And so when we pray like this with that in mind, then we have great hope that these prayers are being heard and that they're being answered. Now, I know none of you ever were children and were prayed for, and I know that you don't pray for your children, right? Not the way it is? You know, one of the reasons we pray for our children, because we can't talk to them. You ever tried to talk to a child about something they don't want to be talked to about? How far does that go? That doesn't get very far. And Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, just encourages us. Have hope. Have faith. Pray to Jesus. And he says when you're dealing, especially with a difficult relationship, you can accomplish more positively in that relationship by talking to God than you can by talking to the person. And so we should have this sense of a great hope that although we can't make things work, that the Lord will make them work and we take them to him over and over again. I cannot tell you how I've seen that work out in my life. I went to a little church in South Alabama, and I, the, I, I knew casually the pastor who'd been there uh, and preceded me. And he said, you know, you're crazy. I would no more recommend to a friend of mine go to that church at all. They treated me terribly. And he says, and the first worst person there that is going to treat you terribly is the church treasurer. He's going to reimburse you, and he's going to write your paycheck, and he isn't going to like doing it. And he would come by me to come by where I lived, and he'd bring me my paycheck, and he'd says, well, I guess we've got to give this to you. Well... You know, I got down there and I put my ears on. A couple people said, you know, old so-and-so here's, mm-mm-mm, uh, you need to be, mm. I thought, mm, that sounds familiar. That's what the last guy said. I just started to pray. Lord, I don't ever want to have a crossword with this man. I don't ever want to say anything to him that would provoke him. I want to, as much as I can, build this man up and not be a part of tearing him down. I can remember year after year down there for four years saying, Lord, I remember what I was told and today is the day that I'm going to get my monthly paycheck. Lord, make this time with this man 
a positive time. I don't think I had a greater advocate in that church than that man. And he was a difficult man. He was a testy man. He was a precise man. And the things that everybody saw as a problem in this man, I began to find as being a virtue. Why? I took this with hope that I did not have to be a source of discontent in this man's life, that I could be a Christian pastor for him. And I saw it to be true. I saw it to be true. I'm just saying, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is the answer to the difficulties that you and I have in life. But we take them to him. We take them to him. Over and over and over again, we take these difficulties to him. He is our hope. You see the man with the demon-possessed son, Mark chapter 9. In hope, he brought his son to the disciples. The disciples were weak. Christ came down off the mountain. The man was now weak in faith. And he brought the child and he says, If you can, help us. And Jesus says, All things are possible to the one who believes. And the man came out with a hopeless, hopeful statement. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There is hope. And this man brought his son to Jesus in hope. And the story is that Jesus healed his son. The story is there to nurture us. The story is there to nurture us, to always have hope, and to faint not in our praying. The third thing you see is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you see that in verse 27 in this chapter. To whom God made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's going to say later in chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, whose our life is revealed, then you're going to be revealed with him in glory. Now, this idea of glory... When you begin to think about the idea of glory, I think there's something kind of latent in most of us that understands this. Um, A number of you that I know, what I know about you is that you like to fix stuff. Stuff gets broken or stuff needs to be rearranged. What we all know is there's something that God's using in us as a means of perfecting something. Could be some trim work at a house. Could be a budget and a ledger. 
could be taking care of the people's needs out here with the fire department, could be in a law court and a decision, could be in just about any area of life. We're always being used to fix, to perfect, to prepare, to present something. Amen. What's the story here? Christ is in you. Christ is in you. And the goal is this perfection. Glory has within it the idea of your moral, spiritual perfection. That you're moving, as Paul says in another epistle, from one degree of glory to another degree of glory until we see the Lord. Christ is in you. It's the hope of glory. You will get there because Christ is in you. The same Christ who is seated right now at the right hand of God. The fourth thing that Paul talks about in this epistle is that hope leads from a a moral character transformation to a transformation of our conduct. There's a song we don't sing very much anymore. It comes, I believe, from the Welsh people from the early part of the last century. Uh, And one of the stanzas in that song, or one of the lines that ends this way, speaking of Christ, he died to make us good. He died that we may go to heaven. He died to make us good. Think of that. This is the, the sense in which character leads into conduct, into the way we do things. What do we know about Jesus? Overall, as he moved through the nation of Israel, he went around doing what? Good. good. He went around doing good. And again, as I look out at you, and I see people that I know, and I know some of the stuff you do, and the stuff you do is for the good of others, for the good of this church, for the good of the workplace, for the good of the community. You're like a little Jesus that he's using going around doing good. And that's what he's talking about in chapter 4, or 3, verse 4. If you're raised up with Christ, if you're a person that has faith in Christ, keep seeking the things above. Hear what he's saying. Keep seeking the things above. Don't lose hope. Keep seeking the things above. Oh, yeah, you may fall off the rails. You may roll off the uh, wagon. You may do any of these kind of things. But what do you do when you fall off the wagon, when you get off the tracks? As a Christian, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and say, that's not who I am. Inside, Christ lives within me. And you begin to go back seeking to do good. Keep seeking the things above. You know, if you seek the Lord, you come to worship service. You seek the Lord. You come to Sunday school. You seek the Lord. You're involved here on Wednesday. You seek the Lord. You read your Bible. You seek the Lord. You pray to him. What do you think is going to happen? 
He's going to just continue to pour himself into you. As he pours himself into you over and over again, what would you expect to happen? You know, if we believe the health food people, you are what you... If you eat grace, what kind of a person would you expect yourself to be? I would think a graceful person. If you eat the love of God, you would expect that the love of God would come out. And if you have faith in the most faithful person who's ever lived, Christ, what do you think he's going to create in you over and over and over again? Faith. Our hope is in the Lord who what? Made and made heaven and earth. We're a part of that. Let's pray. Now bless us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we see that a dimension of this business of being a Christ follower and having faith is that we have hope in the one who is never going to give up on us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And underneath you are always my everlasting arms. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, and continue to develop us in faith, hope, and love. Amen.